When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome into another edition of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast Beat Writer Roundtable Edition. I am Michael Beller, and today we make our way through the AFC West for fun fantasy teams to talk about here. And if we're talking about the AFC West, there's really only one place we can start. That's with the team that has won this division five times in a row and has mixed in a Super Bowl championship for good measure. The Kansas City Chiefs and our Chiefs beat writer, Nate Taylor. Nate, what's going on today? I'm doing well, Michael. Thanks for having me. Uh, yes, we are going to see something new in Andy Reid's offense. That's usually the case every September. So I'm going to try my best to project for our listeners from a fantasy perspective but yeah, I mean, you got to start with the Chiefs, given uh, they have Patrick Mahomes and a litany of skill position players. Yeah, what am I going to do? Start with the Raiders? I mean, come on, no offense, no offense to Deshaun and Vic Tafer, but like, what? I'm going to put the Raiders in the in the first spot on the AFC West? Come on, let's get let's get serious here. Uh, you talk about Andy Reid, always wanting to do something new. That's uh, that's just the Andy Reid way. We have seen so much magic from the Mahomes, Kelsey, and Tyreek Hill trio over the last three seasons. So. What could be new? What new might we see from an offense that still has those three key principles right at the center of it all? Well, yeah, but you know, before we start, Michael, I guess the first point I would say is much of this offseason for the Chiefs has been about rebuilding their offensive line. So essentially yep. Yep. everything I say after this is basically built <laughs> upon that offensive line being functional. Obviously, it should get better as the year goes on. But let's just say the offensive line is average, right? Let's say that they are mm-hmm. going to give Patrick Mahomes at least – Time to throw from the pocket, and obviously we expect Mahomes to still scramble around from time to time. I think one of the new wrinkles for the Andy Reid offense is in one way about a player sort of reaching his potential, and that player for me is McCall Hardman, a third-year wide receiver. And then secondly, it was something that the offense was sort of getting into late in the year, and I'm I'm sure you were aware of it, uh, was they were starting to use Clyde Edwards-Alaire as a true dual-threat option Unfortunately, he had an ankle and a hip injury against New Orleans Saints in December, and they really didn't get to that part of the offense in the postseason. But I think for fantasy football fans this year, uh, that's an element where maybe we can see Clyde Edwards-Alaire as more of a receiver, a role he really shined in when he was at LSU. And yes, they still have Travis Kelsey. Yes, they still have Tyreek Hill. You, by all means, can still draft them in your fantasy league, but... (laughs) A guy that should really thrive in a situation that's really perfect for him, in my opinion, is McCall Hardman because he is a speedster. And at some point, he needs to develop his route tree uh, to not just be just a deep threat, but if he has more opportunities, it should lead to more production. You're taking me right to a a few places I want to go. So let's go to McCall Hardman. You know, uh, I I was on one of our regular fantasy shows. I can't remember which one of uh, our colleagues said it to me, but just opened my eyes to the fact that if you take the two seasons he's had and roll them up into one, it looks like one pretty darn good season. 67 catches on 103 targets, 10 touchdowns, 1,098 yards. 
again, we know that with Tyreek and with Kelsey, there's just not a ton of other targets to go around. And some of that's going to be true again this season. So with now Sammy Watkins gone, with McCole Hardman looking like unquestionably the number three option in the passing game, what is a realistic target floor and ceiling for him this year? Yeah, I think it's realistic to expect 850 yards if he stays healthy and or more. And I would love for him to get in that six to eight touchdown range. Now, some of that may come on special teams as well, which is sort of that dual threat that you Mm -hmm. sort of get when you're playing fantasy football. He will still, in my opinion, still be the team's primary punt returner. Uh, There's maybe a chance he slides in as the kickoff returner, but I think they want to keep his snaps to some control uh, this upcoming season. But you're right. Without Sammy Watkins on the roster anymore, and Sammy was a great route runner, someone who created a lot of mismatches for the offense, they're going to have to do that now with McCole Harmon in a slightly different manner. And I felt that there were times last year where the Chiefs were just reluctant to use McCole Harmon as a, as a gadget player, as somebody you could use on jet sweeps and quick counter plays. Now I really feel like, can McCole Harmon really excel at those post routes? Obviously, you know he's going to give you the deep threat. Can he make those plays in the middle of the field and then get you a lot of yards after the catch that'll be something I'm looking forward to particularly in training camp because they're going to try to build those type of routines those type of skill set in McCall Hardman but look I I think Mahomes wants to make it happen this year right he sees the future Mm -hmm. beyond just this season Uh, we know Kelsey sort of at the twilight of his prime he's not out of it yet but he's still expected to get another thousand yard season I would say Tyreek Hill is kind of always that home run hitter so you know he's going to take some production away from McCole Hardman. But if McCole stays healthy, if he progresses the way most wide receivers do going into their third season in an Andy Reid-led offense, uh, it's time for him and you know Patrick Mahomes to really create some highlights that are beyond just the, hey, I threw the ball really deep to a really, really fast guy, <laughs> and he caught it for a touchdown. Easy guy to get excited about because of his skill set, because of the offense, the quarterback he plays with, and the fact that if you just if you take that 103 target sample over two seasons, keep it where it is, and give him 80 targets this year instead of the 62 career high he had a season ago, could see a nice big year out of McCole Hardman, keeping your expectations in check, of course. You also mentioned the completely different offensive line. We saw that line ultimately get exposed last year by Tampa's defense in the Super Bowl Four new starters, I believe, is the number for this team across the line. Can you just walk us through the changes that have been made? You're right. And potentially it could be five new starters because <laughs> Laurent Duvede-Tardif, who was the starting right guard for the Chiefs when they won the Super Bowl in 2019, he opted out. Uh, he is the lone NFL player to hold a medical degree. He did the most honorable thing last year amidst the pandemic and obviously you know, was treating patients in a long-term care facility in his hometown of Montreal. So if he comes back, that might be five new starters. There's also a little bit of buzz around Trey Smith, who was a guy that the Chiefs took late in the draft. Maybe he is there at the right guard position. I think Mike Rimmers probably still has the odds on favorite to win the right tackle position. So if that holds true, it will still be four new of five starters. But look, I mean, Joe Tooney is a Pro Bowl caliber left guard. Orlando Brown gets his real first true opportunity to be a true star left tackle, something he's wanted to do since college out of Oklahoma. And look, I think the Chiefs draft pick this year is the second round pick of Creed Humphrey, who's going to probably be the starting center, snapping the ball to Patrick Mahomes. I just look for Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator, Mahomes and Reed to try to make the offensive line feel comfortable those first few weeks. A lot of misdirection plays, a lot of quick hitting plays. 
We saw this early in the year last year, and I assume defenses should probably make the smart adjustment that the uh, Tampa Bay Bucks did, which is, hey, let's not get beat deep. Let's make them go the length of the field. Let's get a lead and sort of put pressure on the Chiefs in a in a way that makes Mahomes have to make tough decisions. But if you have a better offensive line, you can be more methodical going down the field. That should open up, obviously, targets for Travis Kelsey. And I think most importantly, if we can get back to the Andy Reid screen game, that opens up a lot of things for Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who will not be sort of truncated by Le'Veon Bell's presence. The Chiefs did not draft a running back in this in this past draft. Really, all the snaps are there to be had for Clyde Edwards-Alaire to really thrive in the middle of the offense if he stays healthy, if he progresses well in this offense. And again, if defenses force the team to go on these 10 to 12 play drives, I think that's a good thing for Travis Kelsey and a very good thing for Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Yeah, we love hearing that about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. All the snaps going to be there for him from a pure fantasy perspective. He's the most interesting player in the offense because we know what was the deal with him, was with him a season ago after Damian Williams opted out. People wanted to take him as the fifth, sixth overall pick ahead of established guys who we knew were going to have big seasons. From a pure fantasy perspective, CEH didn't quite get there. What are the chances that he secures something along the lines of a I don't know, 65% or 70% touch share coming out of the backfield, sharing whatever he's going to be sharing with Daryl Williams and the rest of the guys there. Yeah, I agree. Um, I could give, you know, our listeners full confidence that if Clyde Rizalaire does not get the percentage of snaps that Michael just mentioned, something has gone horribly wrong in the Chiefs offense just because <laughs> I, I just don't see real competition there. I mean, Daryl Williams is a very capable third down back. He'll probably keep that role this year. He obviously played well in the playoffs in replacement of Clyde Edwards-Alaire. But look, if if Edwards-Alaire is healthy, I think there are two things that can be different this year that will show improvement, that will show growth. And that usually is that that leap that running backs make in their second and third years in the league, as particularly from a fantasy perspective, is the Chiefs were awful in the red zone last year. And part of the new offensive line is let's get bigger, Let's get more physical up front. Let's move people when we get into the red zone so that this scat back, if you will, or this unconventional, you know, he's not, Clyde Rosario is not a big running back, but if you move guys off the line, he will find those openings to get into the end zone. So the Chiefs rushing attack in the red zone was pretty pedestrian a year ago. They needed to use a lot of creativity and a lot of Mahomes' brilliance to score touchdowns when they got deep into the field. And then the second thing, and we've mentioned this before, is if, the offensive line is average. If they're even above average, I think there's a chance for true mismatches now where, hey, you're going to put your best DB on Travis Kelsey. You're going to shade two defenders to Tyreek Hill at all times, or at least you should. Uh, you may want to check where McCole Hartman is because in the intermediate zone, perhaps that's a place where he can really make some damage. That creates so many openings for Clyde Edwards-Alaire that I I wish I could see the playbook right now. I wish I could sort of see some of the some of the routes that they're going to put under Clyde Edwards-Alaire that used to go quite honestly to you know Kareem Hunt back in 2018. I'm not saying Clyde Edwards-Alaire will have that same type of season, but there is something that we can point back to in the Chiefs' office from a few years ago that allows a running back of his caliber, of his talent, of his skill position in terms of a receiver, because I think Clyde's a better receiver than Kareem Hunt, that maybe there are chances for him to really expand the Chiefs' offense. And look, if he gets 70% of the snaps, he's going to have more than the 100, excuse me, more than the 
thousand, excuse me, 1,100 yards that he had a year ago, and I think the touchdown rate should go up as well. Yeah, we've seen Clyde Edwards-Alaire slip into about the mid-third round of fantasy drafts right now this season, so definitely could be a whole lot of league-winning upside from a guy like that in an offense like that at a draft slot like that. Nate, as you and I are sitting here, we're still a couple of weeks from the start of training camp. What's the one thing, if you can only pick one, that you're most interested, excited in seeing when this team does open camp a couple of weeks from now? Yeah, I think from a fantasy standpoint, a lot of this comes down to, honestly, how long can Travis Kelsey do this? Because he is the true mismatch that I don't think anybody can cover. I mean, there's been times where I've seen Derwin James, when healthy, cover Travis Kelsey really well. I can't name anybody else. Like, even in the Super Bowl last year, I think that was more about just the full force of that defensive line from Tampa Bay. Obviously, yeah truly exposing a poor offensive line to that Patrick Mahomes didn't have three seconds, didn't have a five-step drop to really get into a rhythm on an offensive side of the ball. I chose Travis Kelsey as one of my top picks on my own fantasy team last year, mostly because I was watching him at training camp every day, and it was very easy (laughs) to see that this man was still at peak performance level uh, coming off a Super Bowl win. I think he'll have another 1,000-yard season in him, but if anything disrupts this offense – Outside of Mahomes being injured, of course, I think the biggest component is Travis Kelsey. Because on third down, third and seven, third and eight, third and ten, with pure reliability, I can just start the ball by watching Travis Kelsey. What route is he running that is going to at least get him open or somebody else open? And I think he's the safest pick from a fantasy perspective, even more safe than Tyreek Hill because you know the receptions, you know the targets are going to be there. But how long can Travis Kelsey do it if he tends to taper off at the middle to the late portion of the regular season as we move to 17 games now? I think that will be a relevation that the team is going to have to sort of come to terms with because as soon as Mahomes has been the quarterback, the one thing he has always relied on, the one player he has always played with outside of that first start at the end of the 2017 season is Travis Kelsey. Still holding off George Kittle and Darren Waller as the top tight end in the fantasy world. Maybe this is the last year for that, especially if we do see Darren Waller take a step. Maybe that gives Vic and uh, and Tashaun a little uh, last lap against us here. Got one more question for you, Nate, before we let you go. BetMGM has the Chiefs win total over under set at 25, or excuse me, 25, at 12 (laughs) and a half. 12 and a half wins for the Kansas City Chiefs. Over, under, can this team get to 13 and 4? Are you feeling an under 12 and 5 sort of season? I don't think we're going to see any sort of bottom falling out of the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, uh, I mentioned this a couple episodes ago when the schedule came out in May on on our Chiefs podcast on the Athletic uh, Podcast Network, Times Ours. Uh, I mentioned that someone in the Chiefs organization, like someone in their building, used to always tell me, and this was going back to a 16-game schedule Coming off the 29, excuse me, the 2018 season when Mahomes threw for, of course, 50 touchdowns, 5,000 yards, he won the MVP. He said, from this moment forth, this person in the organization said, you can put us down for 12 wins every year. It's up to Andy. <laughs> it's up to Patrick. It's up to the defense to some degree because obviously when you get into a, a long NFL season, your defense will need to rise occasionally to get you a win in a league that is becoming more passing, more offense dominant. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm going to take the over. Uh, there's a slight chance, and I've written this in The Athletic, and I know people from a fantasy standpoint don't want to hear this. The only thing I think that can really derail the Chiefs' season is injuries. Uh, We just saw it a year ago with the San Francisco 49ers, who have one of the top 
rosters yet again. But last year, coming off a Super Bowl loss, uh, their season really never got started because by the end of September, you had a list of guys that you knew uh, weren't going to make as much of an impact as a year ago. And look, the Chiefs will try their best to manage not only training camp and the preseason and how they're trying to allocate sort of roles as we get through the early portion of this season. But I, I think from a historical standpoint, getting the three straight Super Bowls is hard. Uh, it is a lot of wear and tear on your body. They've already played three more games than the average NFL team has the last two Januarys and February. So from that standpoint, if that doesn't happen, I think the Chiefs will easily go 14 to 13 wins. So I would say over right now. But the one thing you really should concern your will, you concern yourself with is, am I willing to think that the Chiefs are so historically good that they're going to buck the historical trend and injuries won't be as big of a factor as previous Super Bowl losers in the past? Interesting thing to think about as you are thinking about them maybe going over the 12 and a half and also interesting for the fantasy world as well. Hopefully we can see CEH and McCole Hardman take those next steps. That's Nate Taylor, our Chiefs beat writer here. And do check out Times Ours, our Chiefs podcast here on the Athletic Network. Nate, thanks again for being with us today. Thank you so much. This was awesome. Continuing on through our AFC West episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast, checking in with all of our beat writers across the athletic NFL landscape. We move on now to the Los Angeles Chargers, and joining us, our Chargers beat writer, Daniel Popper. Daniel, we were uh, joking before you and I just got going here. This should be, on paper, an intriguing team and maybe an exciting year for you to cover. I hope it pans out that way. How are you doing today? Doing great, yeah. I mean, I have, I have something called the Popper Curse, which follows me everywhere. Um, I've never covered a good team. And maybe that started <laughs> because I was covering the Jets out of college when I was working for the New York Daily News, and they're just always bad. Um, but then I went to cover the Jaguars after the, the AFC Championship game, and they had a disastrous season, left there to go cover the Chargers in 2019 after they were in the divisional round and actually beat mm -hmm. the Ravens that year. And they've had two disastrous seasons in a row, leading to Anthony Lynn's firing. So... Maybe the curse ends, or maybe I'm doomed to cover bad football for the rest of my life. We'll see. Hey, we'll see. Fingers crossed. I think this is going to be a fun team this year. And I want to actually start with the thing that's actually the most important in the fantasy world is Austin Eckler and where mm -hmm. he stands going as a late first-round pick. That's certainly not going to change. And there's a lot of excitement around him because of the new offensive coordinator, Joe Lombardi, coming over from New Orleans, wasn't the OC there, but got to see up close and personal just how well they used Alvin Kamara and have used Alvin Kamara for years. So a lot of us in the fantasy world are just wanting to draw those conclusions and say, hey, Austin Eckler can be the Chargers, Alvin Kamara. What are the chances that he actually gets used that way? Well, you don't even have to draw conclusions because Joe Lombardi himself compared Austin Eckler to Alvin Kamara. You know, nobody has Alvin Kamara's skill set. But Austin Eckler comes about as close as you can get. Um, he can move all over the formation. He's a great route runner, great hands, shifty runner, can run out of shotgun, can run from under center. Um, obviously, he's been more of a receiving threat in his career. Um, I thought he was going to come along more in the running game last year uh, after Melvin Gordon's departure. Obviously, he got hurt and had that pretty severe hamstring, hyperextended knee situation that forced him to miss um, a majority of the season or not a majority of the season, but several games. And then when he came back, he just wasn't himself. He wasn't fully healthy. Um, and, and so it's hard to sort of look at those final games he was in and, and put any sort of weight in them. Um, but they are going to use him in that Alvin Kamara role. Uh, that's the idea. He can do 
a lot of the things, if not all the things that Alvin Kamara can do. He's going to line up in the slot. He's going to line up out wide. He's going to run out of the shotgun. He's going to run from under center. He's going to catch a lot of balls. Um, and so I think from a fantasy, fantasy perspective, he's a great bet. Um, and he's going to have, you know, if you look at sort of the mentality of it, right, um, he's going to have a chip on his shoulder. He signed that that extension um, and then comes back and has really his first injury, significant injury as a pro. And I think he's going to be out to prove some people um, right in terms of the fantasy world. He's obviously very well connected with that part of the game um, and knows what that means to football fans. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. The, the parallels are there and the coaching staff is, is already, you know, making those comparisons without uh, any fantasy people having to draw the conclusions themselves. Yeah, we definitely love Austin Eckler in the fantasy world for how much he appreciates us and our uh, obsession with the game. Justin Herbert, a revelation for this team a season ago, winning the Offensive Rookie of the Year. Uh, now expectations, they just grow here in year two for Herbert. What do you think a second year, I don't know if leap is the right word because he was so good as a rookie, but what does a second year step forward look like for Justin Herbert? Yeah, so it's really an interesting conversation surrounding Justin Herbert um, because, you know, this buzzword of regression gets thrown around a lot in sports mm -hmm. these days as analytics have become more important. Um, Justin Herbert was remarkable in two areas that are very volatile last year. He was exceptional on third down and he was exceptional when under pressure. Those two stats don't necessarily translate year to year. So you have a lot of people saying, well, he performed really well in these two very volatile areas. So there's reason to believe that he might regress. In order for that not to happen, he just has to improve in the more translatable areas, which are first and second down and when he's not under pressure. Now, I think that he's going to grow in those areas as any quarterback who goes from year one to year two does. You, know, you look down the list of the guys who were absolutely outstanding under pressure in their rookie seasons, like guys like Deshaun Watson, guys like Lamar Jackson. When they moved into their second year as full-time starters, they continued to improve in those types of areas, first and second down and when they weren't under pressure now, so that they offset that regression, that natural regression that happens in those more volatile areas. Um, the key here is what is the marriage going to be between Joe Lombardi and Justin Herbert? Joe Lombardi is bringing over an offense from the saints that is very complex. Um, and it features a lot of moving pieces, a lot of different formations. Uh, you know, I went back and watched the film from the saints chargers game last year and the saints on their first seven plays use seven different formations and seven different personnel packages. They are trying to confuse opposing defenses. That works really well when you have a supercomputer quarterback in Drew Brees, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, processor in the history of the NFL. What happens when you have a second-year quarterback who is very, very smart but isn't on Drew Brees' level? And those questions exist because Joe Lombardi went to Detroit, um, and you know I don't think I'm exaggerating here when I say it was a disaster. Uh, you know he got fired after 22 games. He had a pretty public falling out with Matthew Stafford. Um, so he's going to have to adapt, and he's going to have to try and distill this to Justin Herbert. Um, but I think those are the, when you look at, okay, can Justin Herbert take this big step? It's those two areas. How is he going to work in this different, more complex offense? And what's going to happen with those areas of regression that, are, that are, are, are likely to exist? Can he improve as a pocket passer when he's not under pressure? And can he improve on first and second down? One great thing that Justin Herbert has at his disposal is his number one receiver, Keenan Allen, just becoming Mr. Reliable over the last four years in the fantasy world. 591 targets across 62 games in that span. So first of all, the 62 games jumps out at you and says, this guy's just not getting injured anymore like he was earlier in his career. And then the 591 targets jump out at you because that's just a monster number. It's good for nine and a half 
per game. We know he is the runaway number one receiver, pass catcher in this offense. Let's look at that nine and a half per game he's had over the last four seasons. Does he go over or under that mark this year? It's tough. I'm going to go under just because the offense is predicated on balance. And, you know, Drew Brees made a name for himself spreading the ball around. And I think that's what Justin Herbert's going to have to do to be successful in this offense. But, and this is a big but, I thought it was really interesting because, you know, Keenan Allen and Phillip Rivers obviously had an outstanding rapport, especially in those short yardage routes where Keenan could find the small spaces and Phillip through with incredible anticipation. That was one of his greatest attributes as a quarterback. The question was, okay, what was Keenan Allen going to be with, with not Phillip Rivers? And initially it was Tyrod Taylor, obviously. And then it went to Justin Herbert in, in week two because of that obvious mishap with the injection. Um, encouraging for fantasy owners of Keenan Allen that Justin Herbert probably favored Keenan Allen more than Philip Rivers ever did. And he, and to a fault at times. Um, so nine and a half is a lot. So that's why I'm going with the under. Um, Keenan Allen is going to be a favorite target of Justin Herbert. There's an immense amount of trust there already. And Keenan Allen gets open, period, full stop. Um, but I just think with the scheme and how it's designed, they're going to be spreading the ball around to a lot of different places. And that's the only reason I would go under. But Keenan Allen's going to have a monster season. And one interesting thing to bring up with Keenan Allen is that Joel Lombardi uh, you know, said there are rules players and there are non-rules players. And what he means by that is there are guys in the, in the receiving room where you're like, you have to follow every rule of this route by the book. And then there are guys who he likes to call them guidelines guys, non-rules guys, who have the freedom to sort of do what they want in certain situations because they have that trust from the coaching staff and they have that innate feel for the game. Keenan Allen has been described by Joe Lombardi as a guidelines guy. So he has Keenan has already talked about having all this freedom, right, to use his agility, to use his shiftiness, to sort of create openings outside of the script of the play. Um, it's great to hear that as a fantasy owner, I'm sure. I'm really fascinated to see how it actually works out X's and O's wise. Um, he's going to have a big year, um, but I think they're going to spread the ball about, around a little bit more. All right, we'll get to Jared Cook in a second. So hold a thought on him as I ask you this next question. We've been waiting for Mike Williams to have him do it all season, right? He's had the 1,000-yard season. He's had the 10-touchdown season. He's had some bad seasons, and we're still waiting for him to get it all together. Uh, he's the obvious, I would say, number two receiver in this offense. But what does that translate to? What does that look like for a guy who has had his ups and downs, who is playing behind a clear alpha in Keenan Allen? What does that all mean for Mike Williams this season? Yeah, so – Mike Williams is going to be the X receiver in this offense. And like we've been talking about, Joe Lombardi is bringing this offense over from the Saints. And who plays the X receiver for the Saints? Michael Thomas. So Joe Lombardi has said he expects huge things from Mike Williams playing that position. He expects him to get the ball a lot. He expects his targets to be up. Now, when we're talking about Mike Williams, it's always about can he stay healthy? Because we've never really seen him fully healthy. When he had the 1,000-yard season, he was playing on a pretty significant knee injury for the entire season. He hurt it in the very first game of the year against the Colts and played it on the entire year. Last year, he hurt his AC joint in training camp, diving for a ball, and that was something he dealt with the whole season on top of other injuries. So he's always been nicked up. The question is, can he actually have a season where he isn't injured, or is this just his play style? And anybody who watches Mike Williams, you see him jump for these balls and land so hard. And it's, it's a mentality. He's never going to change how he plays. It's what makes him a good player is that he goes up and gets these jump balls and puts his body on the line, but that lends itself to injury. 
And I think ultimately his play style is going to prevent him from playing a full season healthy. However, if he can somehow stay healthy, he's going to be a focal point of this offense. Um, he's going to be playing that X, that X receiver spot. And that, as Joe Lombardi said, that position tends to find a lot of targets in this specific scheme. All right, how about the tight end here, Jared Cook? First year in the Chargers with Hunter Henry off to New England. And you look at Hunter Henry, it's been a pretty stable tight end role the last couple of seasons. 76 targets in 2019, turned that into 55 grabs for 652 yards and five touchdowns. That was in 12 games. Uh, last year, he played 14 games, 93 targets, 60 catches, 613 yards, and four touchdowns. Even with it being a new offense, do you think we can just sort of slide Jared Cook right into that Hunter Henry workload role? Yeah, I would say so. Um, you know, you know, obviously Jared Cook has been in this scheme before, uh, playing the last two years with the Saints. But he is far and away the best tight end passing option on the roster. Um, and because of that, as long as he can stay healthy, he's going to get targets in this scheme, particularly in the red zone. Um, behind him on the depth chart is Donald Parham, former XFL guy who showed some flashes last year. And he's going to be in the mix. He's an interesting piece. He really has to improve as a blocker to get more significant snaps. So they're going to move him and and play him in that sort of um, F F spot, move tight end spot, play him out wide in the slot. And and he has the size to make some plays. I just don't think he can be, you know, 60, 70% of the plays type guy yet. Um, And then they drafted a kid, Trey McKitty, out of Georgia. And he is going to be pretty much exclusively a blocker. you know, the, the Saints have always had that blocking tight end guy. You know, recently it's been Josh Hill, the guy that's in there. And when he's in there, they're running the football or he's in pass protection. So I wouldn't expect much out of him. And, and so you look at the, the depth chart. They got Steven Anderson, too. Uh, but his blocking is, is a question mark as well. So, um, you know, Jared Cook is far and away the top option as a tight end. And because of the scheme, I think he's going to get targets. So, yeah, I would say definitely a good value pick. I think, you know, you would know better than I would in terms of in terms of the value. But. Um, my guess is he'll probably be there a little later, but he's going to be a guy that's going to going to get have a pretty big role in this offense. Yeah. yeah, he's pretty much always that guy that if you uh, if you've waited on the position, you're one of the last people in your league to draft a tight end. You're circling around and finding Jaron Cook and really not being too upset about it. That's a nice guy to fall back on. Last thing here for you, Daniel, BetMGM, our partners over there, they've got the Chargers installed with a win total over under of nine and a half with the over being a slight underdog. It's a lot to ask of a team, but again, as we talked about, there's a lot of improvements on paper, and we didn't even really get to uh, Rashawn Slater and Corey Lindsley, the big additions on the offensive line for a totally reworked offensive line. What do you think? Do they go over that 9.5, or do they fall under it? Chargers fans are going to throw me in the ocean after I say this, (laughs) but I'm going under. I'm going under. I think this is the right coaching staff, and I think they have a lot of the pieces that they need to be successful to contend for a Super Bowl while Justin Herbert's on his rookie deal. But I just don't see them topping nine wins in Brandon Staley's first season. And I I think a lot of it is going to stem from depth. They figured out the starting offensive line, but they really don't have any depth there. They don't really have any defensive line depth. They're mediocre at safety depth. Um, And I think, you know, one thing I've learned covering a lot of bad teams is that once injuries strike, your depth gets exposed, right? And that's happened to the Chargers year after year. And I think that's going to happen this year. The other facet of this is that the Chargers have a really inexperienced coaching staff. They don't have any head coaching experience on the staff. Now, that's going to lead to innovation. It's going to lead to forward thinking. It's going to lead to outside-the-box thinking. But when, as the, you know, the football cliche goes, 
when bullets start flying, then you sort of find out who guys really are. And that experience tends to become really valuable. So for those two reasons, I don't see them topping nine and nine wins. I don't see them going over nine and a half, um, but somebody will clip this out in December and tweet it at me and I'll be on old takes, old takes exposed. Looking forward to it. Send it to old takes exposed when this team goes 11 and six this season, it's going to be a very fun team in the fantasy world. I can promise you that with that big top, uh, top heavy three headed trio of Justin Herbert, Austin Eckler and Keenan Allen, Daniel poppers got you covered all season long here at the athletic on the chargers. Daniel, thanks for joining us again today. Thanks for having me. Moving along here in the AFC West, we move along to the Denver Broncos and Nick Cosmider, our Broncos beat reporter. Nick, thanks for being with us on the Fantasy Football Pod. Yeah, thanks for having me, Michael. I appreciate it. Hey, man, this is uh, this is going to be a fun team in the summer, I think, mostly because it's one of these teams that has a true, honest-to-goodness quarterback competition going on. Of course, they could change all that if they wanted to swing a monster trade and bring Aaron Rodgers in, but for the time being... Let's just assume that doesn't happen. Rodgers stays in Green Bay, and we're looking at Drew Locke versus Teddy Bridgewater at Broncos camp. How do you handicap this one, Nick? It's it's a good question. I I really you know the the sense that I get um, you know from from talking to people during kind of the OTA minicamp portion of it is that uh, as you mentioned, it really is a, a true quarterback competition. I, I don't think the Broncos are leaning one way or another they obviously brought teddy bridgewater in because they needed to they needed to establish a floor of acceptable quarterback play um, that they didn't really near last year and, and and to be honest haven't for the better part of the last five years um so with teddy bridgewater i think they believe that if if drew lock doesn't show major improvement uh, pretty significant improvement during training camp preseason however long they stretch this thing out well you know, George Payton, the new Broncos general manager, he knows Teddy Bridgewater pretty well. Um, you know, they so they see him as a guy that can, um, you know, be a league average quarterback. Um, and with the roster that the, that the Broncos have compiled over the last few years and uh, are putting onto the field in 2021, I think they believe um, that can be enough if they can get, uh, again, just even average play from that position. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely one of the things to watch really league-wide from a fantasy perspective because we know Teddy Bridgewater, he's the floor guy, as you said. Drew Locke can certainly be the ceiling guy, and they're very different styles of quarterback, and that brings us to our next question, which is we've got two guys atop the wide receiver depth chart with this team in uh, Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy, who are going to be very interesting to fantasy players. You've also got KJ Hamler, Noah Fant, guys like that who can also play some roles in fantasy leagues. So is there a read on if Locke is the QB, then this guy's better off? If Bridgewater's the QB, this guy's better off? Is that something that we can start reading into when camp begins? Well, it's a it's a great question. And, and one of the things that we constantly heard during training camp from, from any pass catcher essentially was just how different Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater throw the ball, right? Uh, you know, Drew Locke is a guy that even on his deep balls, he's he tends to throw it hard and, and flat, um, whereas Teddy Bridgewater, um, you know, puts a lot of air under the ball and, and, and you know, isn't the kind of guy that's necessarily going to beat you with his with his arm uh, in terms of firing balls into, into tight spaces and things like that. Um, the, 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 the key to that question for me is, is there a quarterback that can fully unleash Jerry Judy? Uh, because as a rookie last season, he showed some glimpses of, of his kind of, um, 
you know, potentially elite talent in terms of he was, I believe, fourth in the NFL in average yards per catch at a, at a little over 16 yards per catch, um, was a guy that if he had even a little bit of space is going to is going to turn that into a big plays. The issue was he and Drew Locke were, were not on the same page. Drew Locke threw deep balls uh, more frequently than anybody besides Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers last year. So, so he constantly attacked down the field. Problem is he was woefully inaccurate uh, when doing so. And, and a, a large part of those uh, missed opportunities were between he and Judy. And in, in OTAs, we saw Judy and Bridgewater, um, you know, have a lot of chemistry. Vic Bangio said, you know, let's, you know, let's not make too much of this. You know, we're still early in all this, but you know, just watching that, those two seem to be on on a really, um, you know, kind of a really nice rhythm together. So that to me is is the one guy that I'm going to really look at and say, you know, are he and Locke in a better place now than they were uh, a year ago or last season, or is is Bridgewater just kind of does his game just have a better natural fit? With Judy, because you know the key, I think, for the Broncos to to fully maximize their offense is to really you know have Judy have that kind of breakout year. Uh, let's talk about those two receivers individually, and since we've talked about him so much already, let's just jump right to Jerry Judy. Outside of the quarterbacks and who those quarterbacks are going to be, what's on Jerry Judy individually to take the next step this season? Uh, yeah, so the number one thing he has to clean up is the drops. He had twelve of them as a rookie. Um, including uh, five in one game against the Chargers in week 16 that essentially cost Denver the game. Um, had a nice bounce back the following week, had, had a 92-yard catch-and-run touchdown, which was the longest pass play in the NFL last year. Um, so had a really nice close to the season to kind of wash that bad taste out of his mouth. Um, you know, But you go through and look at some of the guys, some of the top receivers in the NFL, the the Julio Joneses of the world, guys like that, a lot of them dropped the ball as rookies. Um, you know, that we, we see that happen in the NFL. K.J. Hamler, Denver's other rookie, uh, dropped seven passes and 56 targets last year. So uh, it wasn't just Judy. I, I think the other thing for him is just, you know, the continued maturity, uh, w- which his coaching staff has praised a lot this offseason in terms of the way that he's kind of attacking his preparation. Um, but there were times where, you know, Judy was not lined up in the right place last year. There was some kind of clear communicate, clear communication issues between he and Locke and, and he and the coaching staff at times. So for him, I think it's just cleaning up those kind of things on, on the edges, um, because the talent, you know, you saw it from the moment he stepped on the field for training camp last year, and it was there every week. It was simply, I think a matter of, you know, becoming a more, a better student of the game. And again, kind of creating that chemistry with his quarterback that um, really didn't have a chance to do last year, uh, you know, given that Locke was a first-time starter, uh, they had no offseason and all those kind of things. So I, I expect a, a really big season from Jerry Judy. Cortland Sutton, another guy who we're expecting a big season from. We got that from him a couple of years ago and looked like he was becoming one of the next big things at the wide receiver position. Then last year, one game played and he tore his ACL. So far, everything that we've heard has been good. Are the Broncos expecting any sort of limitations? Of course, they're going to be careful, but how much of Cortland Sutton do you think we see this summer? And do you think there's any reason to doubt his week one availability? Uh, I don't doubt his week one availability. I think they'll probably be... Um, cautious with him during training camp. I, I would imagine that when they open up to, to fans on July 28th, um, you're not going to necessarily see him, um, you know, in every part of the, the team drills. I, I think he'll be kind of slowly incorporated into that, uh, sort of how like Bradley Chubb was last year in training camp as he mm-hmm. came back from an ACL injury. 
um, was certainly participating in team stuff. He was just on a, on a bit of a pitch count. I think that's what you'll see with Cortland Sutton. But yeah, week one I, is is the target that I, I I think there's little doubt among the Broncos, you know, inside that building that he is going to be able to meet that. And he he's another guy that gives the Broncos, uh, you know, a better deep threat. I, I mentioned it, and and look, Pat Shermer had three wide receivers on the field 67% of the time last year. Uh, the year before in 2019, in a Rich Scangarello, Broncos only had three wide 50% of the time. So they're gonna they're gonna put a lot of weapons out on the field, uh, but they have to be more effective in those sets than they were a year ago. And Cortland Sutton being one of those guys, I, I think, is going to make the Broncos a lot more efficient when they spread the ball out. Cortland Sutton here in the early part of the summer, wide receiver 30, 32, right in that range in fantasy drafts. Feels like he could be one of the big bargains if he gets back to the guy he was in 2019. It's another interesting year in the Broncos' backfield. Of course, Philip Lindsay out now in Houston. Melvin Gordon still here, and Javante Williams already making plenty of noise in the fantasy world this summer. How do you envision this pairing going this season? Well, what interests me about um, you know the jo- Javante Williams, Melvin Gordon um, sort of backfield is, you know, last year they brought Melvin Gordon in, in part because they wanted to get more production from a receipt, from a receiving standpoint out of their backfield. And it did not happen. Uh, you know, Gordon had 32 catches, um, but, but a, um, I believe a career low in terms of average yards per catch, um, was not, you know, was not a big part of that passing game outside of just, um, you know, kind of safety valve dump offs a lot of the time. Um, you know, Philip Lindsay certainly was not a part of that passing game and the Broncos, you know, they threw fewer screens than anybody else in, in the NFL. And I, I do think that Javante Williams, that's where his strength is. Um, he's a guy that, you know, because of his, his physical strength, um, ability to hit a quick crease, I think he's going to be a guy that, that really can be used in that screening game a little bit more fre- frequently, especially as the Broncos have built continuity alongside their offensive line. They have some athleticism. Uh, at the guard spots that uh, that can help kind of pull those plays a little bit more. So I would expect that that the Broncos are going to be more um, diligent in trying to get some production receiving wise out of out of their backfield. So so look for Javante Williams to be a part of that. And then as far as the the, the carry share, you know, Melvin Gordon ended up with 48 percent of the team's rushes last year. Uh, that was with Philip Lindsay uh, missing, I believe, seven or eight games because of various injuries. Um, so I, I think that it's going to be pretty close to a 50, 50 split in terms of the, the, those two guys. Uh, I, would be surprised if, if Gordon had, uh, a lot more carries than, than Williams did. All right, let's jump back out to the pass catchers where we find Noah Fant, someone who uh, the fantasy community uh, liked a lot last year and is liking again this season. We're always looking for that, you know, like top 10-ish tight end who can suddenly become a top five sort of tight end. Noah Fant has the athleticism to do it. Does he have the opportunity to do it in this Denver offense? It's a great question. You know, I, I saw that ESPN had their um, position ranking of of tight ten, top 10 tight ends, and he, he wasn't on it, which kind of surprised me. This is a guy who last year, given all the issues the Broncos had on offense, um, you know, with, with Locke being in and out of the lineup, they started three different quarterbacks um, and all those kind of things, a new offensive coordinator. Uh, Noah Fant was tied for sixth among tight ends in catches uh, with 62, and he, and he was uh, seventh in receiving yards among tight ends. And so that uh, to me was a guy who was kind of just getting started and who should, I think certainly benefit from his second year in the offense with Pat Shermer. He's healthier. He was banged up a little bit last year, even though he played, 
uh, almost every Sunday. I, I think he's he's a lot healthier. He seems to be in a really good good spot mentally uh, as he approaches his third season in the league. Uh, but again, they're going to have to get better quarterback play. That's the one the, the one thing with the Broncos wide receivers is you look at or with their pass catchers is you look at it and say, you know, can they get better play out of the quarterback? Because if they can, you know, start creating some some rhythm offensively. Um, you got enough guys that, that they can really spread the ball around. And I think Noah Fant, especially if they can work on getting him the ball up the seams a little bit more than they did a year ago, which is, which is a kind of a stated goal of this offense. Um, I, I think he can, ha- he could be in for uh, a pro bowl level type season. We know Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, they're going to be big guys, of course, at the receiver position. Looking for more out of Noah Fant. Javante Williams going to be involved in the passing game in some fashion. Does that leave anything for KJ Hamler that we would call meaningful in the fantasy football world? Well, it's a, it's an interesting question because somebody is going to be left out of, of this game, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you have Cortland Sutton who had 72 catches in 2019 coming back. Uh, you know, we talked, we talked about Judy 51 catches and that seemed like he was just, I mean, just kind of getting started. Um, Tim Patrick, 50, 52 yeah. catches a year ago, <laughs> uh, breakout season for him. Uh, 700 something yards, team leading six touchdowns. I see him as the guy getting squeezed because they like KJ Hamler in that slot role. Last year, out of his 30 catches, 21 of them came in the slot. And I think that's the spot that they kind of want to keep him in uh, more or less. And so to me, Patrick is the guy, uh, if everybody is healthy, that's mm-hmm. probably going to be, you know, see his, his volume go down a little bit. That doesn't mean he can't be effective from a team perspective. Um, if he has something like 35 catches, but from a fantasy perspective, that's the guy I think will will go down. I, I would be surprised if Hamler didn't improve upon his uh, 30 catches, 380 yards, and uh, three touchdowns from a year ago. All right, Nick, one more question for you here. Our partners over at BetMGM. Give the Broncos an 8.5 win total over-under with the over being a pretty significant favorite at minus 140. We can forget about the odds and just talk about this team straight up with that 8.5 number that obviously puts them right at the 500 mark even with the 17-game schedule. It's a tough division with four games combined against the Chiefs and the Chargers. And, hey, the Raiders, probably no pushover again this season, just like a year ago. Uh, You go over that number for this team or under that number for this team? And, again, we're assuming, of course, no Aaron Rodgers trade pulled off miraculously here. Yeah, well, I wrote wrote a piece uh, earlier this week uh, that looked at some of the futures odds for the Broncos, uh, and and one of them being this this win total – Look, the Broncos have not hit the over on their win total since 2015. And so it's a team that, for whatever reason, tends to kind of um, not meet the, the, Vegas, the Vegas expectations. Uh, they had a push one year in there, um, but, but have not hit the over. Uh, I think they do this year. And the reason is because of their, their last place schedule. I, I don't think they were a whole lot worse than the Chargers or the Raiders last year, quite honestly. Um, but the way that, the, you know, kind of the wins and loss column shook out, they were fourth. Um, now Vegas has them predicted to finish second in the AFC West, but they have five games against teams that finished last in their divisions a year ago. And all four of those teams are predicted to finish last again, based on the, on the bet MGM odds. The, uh, the lone exception to that is the Jaguars. They're picked to finish third in the AFC South, uh, because as we all know, the Texans are uh, a bit of a mess. Uh, so, so the schedule for the Broncos, I think, um, it plays well. If they, especially, they have to get out to a fast start at the Giants in Week One, at the Jaguars in Week Two, and at home against the Jets 
in week three. They need to go two and one in that stretch. And if they do, I see them getting to nine wins, nine or 10 wins. Yeah, they sort of, uh, you know, talking through them with you, they sort of have an AFC feel of the Bears of the past couple of years where it's a really strong roster up and down except for that quarterback position being a bit of a question mark. And the Bears managed to go 8-8 eight and eight both of those two seasons with Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles playing quarterback for them. So it seems like maybe the Broncos can match that. And that 17th game maybe is what gets them over to that 9-8 and eight mark. Going to be a fun team, real life and fantasy. Nick Cosmider on them all season long in Denver. Nick, thanks again for being with us here today. Thanks a lot, Michael. I appreciate it. Marching right along here in the AFC West, we move on next to the Las Vegas Raiders and one of our two Vegas Raiders beat writers, Vic Tafer. Vic, good to talk to you, man. We were on the gambling show last year together. We're going to be doing that again this year. That's coming back your way in about a month or so, but just good to talk to you on the Raiders. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. Yeah, it's good to hear your voice. Uh, definitely, uh, we're getting going. We're getting going pretty quickly, so uh, it should be fun. Indeed we are, and this Raiders team uh, seems to be one that maybe could get going quickly because of the fact that there is a lot of continuity here at the top uh, with the head coach, with the offensive coordinator, with the quarterback. Derek Carr has been one of the, I would say, the steadiest players in the way we view him in the fantasy world. Obviously, I'm not talking steady at the top, but just he basically gives us exactly what we expect him to give us when we project ahead at the start of the season. Could we see anything new from him this year? Probably not. I think they're gonna run. They're gonna run the ball a lot. Obviously, they brought in Kenyon Drake, so I think they have like that two-headed monster, whatever the thunder and lightning, as people say. So I think they'll run the ball a good deal. Uh, he'll have to replace. You know, he had his top. Uh, Darren Waller's his top guy, but his top receiver was Nelson Aguilar, and he's gone. So we'll see how Ruggs and Edwards can step up, or if it's uh, John Brown. But losing your top receiver definitely is, uh, requires some adjustment time. Yeah, definitely does, and we'll see how they fill in with some of those other guys that we can talk about in a second. But, you know, Derek Carr in the fantasy world, thinking about him as, you know, that pretty reliable mid-QB2, probably along the same lines as, you know, where you see Kirk Cousins and maybe Matt Ryan, maybe Baker Mayfield, guys like that all sort of clumping up together. You mentioned the big move that they made in the backfield this year. Had a lot of us scratching our heads bringing in Kenyon Drake, so not wanting to fully give that backfield over to Josh Jacobs this season, Jalen Richard still on this roster. How do you see that backfield breaking down, especially between those top two guys, Jacobs and, and Drake? Yeah, I think the Drake deal was a head scratcher because of the amount of money. They pretty much guaranteed him $11 million, which is a lot for two years for backup running back. But, you know, I think John's always liked him. You know, with Gruden, if he likes him, one of them thinks the guy's a fit at any point. You know, he definitely wants to revisit that and like he's always here, he wants to collect as many cool toys as he can. So the plan right now is Jacobs will be the main guy, but I think the left will keep him fresh. It's a longer season, with 17 games, and Drake will get some running plays. And I think the more exciting thing for Raider fans, man, for Gruden, I would think, would be the ways you can use Kenyon Drake. You can use him at receiver, you can line him up all over the field, which is what they're promising to do, especially in the red zone. He had some problems in the red zone the last couple of years. So, I mean, fantasy-wise, I'm not sure if, you know how high you can take Kenyon Drake, but the very worst is a nice insurance policy with some upside. At the best, he's a guy that could be like one of those red zone guys, a guy who scores you know, enough to justify a roster spot. Yeah, almost like a uh, a Kareem Hunt and, and Nick Chubb situation on a lower level, I would say. But it feels like it could have that same sort of relationship, maybe a James Robinson, Travis Etienne relationship. Those guys also, those groupings 
all seem to fit together a little bit. And both those guys, obviously, and Jacobs and Drake going to be carrying plenty of fantasy value this season. You mentioned Darren Waller, obviously, is the number one guy in this offense, the number one pass catcher for Derek Carr, the number one playmaker in the offense. And he just had just an unbelievable season after what was a breakout 2019. He got even better in 2020, catching 107 passes for nearly 1,200 yards and nine touchdowns. Um, It's hard to ask anyone to match that in back-to-back seasons, but from the standpoint of just Darren Waller's workload, he had 145 targets in 16 games last season. Do you see that target share regressing in any sort of way? I really don't. I think the one thing with Derek he's shown in the past is if he develops you know, trust in you and you make plays for him, He'll keep feeding you. Like it goes back to Michael Crabtree. When I, Crabtree, when he had him every time, it was third down or red zone, big play. You kind of knew where the ball was going. He liked the, even if it was covered, didn't matter. He throw a fade. I think Law is getting to that level. And the thing about Darren is he was a receiver in college, so he's still really learning the position with the tight end. You with uh, Kelsey and and those guys recently he learned a lot. He said so. Top, you know, top top athlete, incredible shape, incredible athlete, incredible shape, you know, faster than a lot of guys, stronger than a lot of DBs. Uh, great route runner. Just uh, he's a guy who's no reason why he can't keep getting better, and therefore no reason why his numbers can't keep going up. Yeah, he is in that elite tight end group. Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Darren Waller, the three elite tight ends that we have in the fantasy game and guys who are all getting selected within the first 30 picks of pretty much every single fantasy draft, rightfully so. At the wide receiver position, the two guys, you know, there's really three guys, I guess, who I'm pretty interested in. And in a certain way, it feels like all three of them are sort of new to the offense this season. The first two are the guys they drafted last year. Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards, and they're not really new. They're not literally new, but it was a a bit of a lost year for Brian Edwards and both these guys as rookies in the pandemic season, no real training camp, no exhibition games to work through, just had a lot working against them like every rookie did a year ago. And then they go out and they sign John Brown, a known commodity, a guy who also dealt with his fair share of injury in Buffalo a season ago, but really brings a lot to the table for this offense. How do you see these three guys fitting with one another? I think last year they started both uh, Ruggs and Edwards in that season opener, and then uh, Edwards got a little banged up, and Aguilar came in and never gave the job back. So I think my guess would be the plan will be similar this year. You hope those guys, when Derek Carr said that you know, Ruggs, something's clicked this offseason, where he's definitely more in tune and, and ready to go and more aggressive in his cuts. You know, got a little bigger in the weight room. So I think the plan right now is week one, uh, those two guys start again. And I think John Brown's kind of like your insurance policy. They're a nice insurance policy. He's very – very proven receiver, a nice track record, can catch the balls inside, down the, down the field, make plays deep. Uh, very, you know, very well liked, veteran kind of leadership type guy in previous spots he's been in. So, uh, I think that he's the insurance policy, and you got some other guys after that. But uh, I, I can imagine all three guys will get a decent amount of targets this year. Yeah, when you say insurance policy, do you think that he's running right now and? Put Waller aside for a second, but when we just look at these three receivers, Ruggs, Edwards, and Brown. Are you are you saying that maybe Brown is running third in terms of target share among those guys? I would say that's part of their goal right now. We'll wait, wait and see how those guys, young guys, doing training camp, if they really have gotten better, taking a step up. But I imagine going in right now, John probably thinks of it. I mean, all three guys you know, in the NFL today use so many receivers. So all three guys would be on the field a lot. But I would guess right now that the the, um, the intent or the goal would be to have the two young guys take a step up, get back in the starting lineup, and, and go from there. Where John Brown would come in after that, because in the slot, normally you know, some guys sometimes you move guys to the slot, but right now the slot seems like it's pretty much set with um, 
Hunter Renfro and Willie Sneed. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting wide receiver group. You mentioned those. So we didn't even talk about those two guys, and they're there. Zay Jones is still here. So it is an interesting wide receiver group, and one in which you know someone's going to bump, bump up and get 100 targets. Uh, we know Darren Waller is going to get his 140-150, but you think someone in this group is going to get 100 targets. So it'll be an interesting group to watch in training camp and in the uh, in the preseason games and see just how things maybe are starting to shake out for them as we get closer and closer to the start of the season. Got one more here for you, Vic, before we let you go in this one. Right in your wheelhouse, as I said, you and I will be back doing a gambling show every single Friday on the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. So can't let you go without asking you about the Raiders' win total over-under. BetMGM has it set at 7, with both the over and the under at minus 110. What are you feeling on these guys this year? They don't get a lot of respect. Even last year, it was a low number, and they still went over. They went 8-8, but they still went over the win total, so... I think this should be similar. I think um, eight and eight should be very doable. I mean, they, they have changes in the offensive line and the defensive line, but when we talked about the offense, most of the guys are back. We were top ten last year. You got some pass rush now in Yannick and Gakwe. That, that hasn't been the case in previous years. A guy who's clearly you know a top guy. Max Crosby played hurt last year, so there's no reason the defense can't be better than it was last year. So. I think eight and eight is very doable. Maybe even nine. Oh, I'm sorry, seven eight and nine. So, eight and nine. So eight and nine or, <laughs> or nine and eight are very doable. And both those are over the total. So I would go over the number right now. It is seemingly a little bit of disrespect and almost like an Aaron Rodgers trade is being baked into some of these AFC West numbers when you look at them, when you compare. Uh, really, I mean, the Chiefs are in a class of their own, but when you look at the rest of the AFC West, it almost feels like there's some protections being built in in case the Broncos do end up swinging that trade yeah. for Aaron Rodgers with uh, which, point, yeah. Yeah, the, the possibility of which I think lessens and lessens by the day. But uh, great to talk to you, Vic. Thanks for being here with us. That's Vic Tafer our Las Vegas Raiders beat writer, along with Sean Reed. You can check them out on the Raiders all season long. She's got their Raiders podcast, State of the Nation, all season long. You can catch Vic right here on the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast every Friday talking the lines that are ahead of us that coming week. Vic, thanks for being with us again on the Fantasy Football Pod. All right, bud. Take care. That'll do it for the AFC West edition of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast's Beat Writer Roundtable. Our thanks to all of our AFC West beat writers for being here with us, and our thanks to you as well. We'll talk to you all soon.